Welcome to this latest edition of The Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn, on this 9th of September 2019. As we discuss the world of sports and pop culture right now, the Saints are down in their home opening 14-3 to a, you know, a feisty but still talented Houston uh, Texan team. Uh, Deshaun led by, of course, Deshaun Watson. Who has accounted for a couple touchdown one run a touchdown run and a touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, New Orleans is about was about a minute left in the, um, as they are trying to drive to get some points before halftime. Uh, of course, at the uh, nightcap, you have Denver and the Raiders, a game that doesn't have as much intrigue on it, of course, because you have because the Raiders are of course missing. Uh, receiver that uh, never suited up for them, never played one game as an Oakland Raider, one official game as an Oakland Raider, uh, as, of course, is Antonio Brown. And that's where we're going to begin as Antonio Brown went goes from being from being suspended to apologizing to cut to on New England Patriots in less than a weekend, basically. Um I shouldn't say he wasn't ever suspended, so let me correct that. Uh, let me uh, get that correct. He was not suspended, but he was, uh, you know, he was, uh, when he got to it with Mayock, the general manager uh, of the Raiders, he was uh, didn't practice that day. He wasn't available to, his media, to the media that day. And, you know, you could say, you know, there are different perspectives you can look at this. There are different angles you can look at this. Um, two things can be true. Like, I do believe that Antonio Brown orchestrated his way out of Oakland without question. But that doesn't take away from there are some issues there uh, mentally. There are some issues there for, in terms of him as a cancer to a team. Uh, the idea that just because he, you know, signed on to probably the best culture, well, definitely the best culture in football, one of the best coaches in all the sports, and one of the strongest coaches. Excuse me, one of the strongest coaches in all the sports in the New England Patriots does not guarantee that he will even make it through a season as a New England Patriot. Uh, Antonio Brown is, is, is about Antonio Brown. Um, this behavior, again, is nothing new. Uh, you heard talk reports that for years that Pittsburgh was able to kind of hide this behavior because, you know, they did a lot of winning. Uh, kept a lot of things under wraps, and you know you had a lot of people. I had a, I had a few people who were championing Mike Tomlin and giving Mike Tomlin credit for putting up with Antonio Brown. Like Mike Tomlin is one of the biggest reasons, one of the reasons why he, you know Antonio Brown acts like this because he enabled him for the better part of his career. So Mike Tomlin. Put up with this because Antonio Brown was constantly putting up hundred, you know, hundred catch seasons, uh, you know, over the course of his career from basically from 2013 up until last year, arguably the best, the most from a number standpoint, the most productive receiver in all the football. But they never went to a Super Bowl. All that production didn't didn't mean anything because they never even made it to a Super Bowl during Antonio during the Antonio Brown Le'Veon Bell era of those two players who were putting up these gaudy numbers. That never equated to to any to a championship, let alone a Super Bowl appearance. 
So I I don't give Tomlin any credit whatsoever for um, putting up with Antonio Brown. He enabled Antonio Brown. But the the onus of all this has to be on Antonio Brown. I can't even blame the Raiders. Uh, The Raiders did everything. They did everything they could possibly do, kissed his ass, which wasn't smart. But when you're the Raiders, you don't have a strong – they don't have a, a championship culture. They haven't won a Super Bowl since, you know, the 80s. Okay. So that, that those are at least two generations ago when the last time they won a Super Bowl, maybe maybe in three generations ago. You think a generation counts for every 10 years that they even um, – have been uh, won a Super Bowl, haven't been been to a Super Bowl since the 2002 season. Ironically, where John Gruden was the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that you know destroyed them in that uh, in that Super Bowl 48-21. So I don't, you know, I, I I can't put this I can't put this onus on the Raiders. I put this squarely on Antonio Brown. And again, I don't think that uh, Antonio Brown is this mastermind that he orchestrated this from. You know, from when he was back in Pittsburgh, like I'm gonna I'm force a trade, and then I'm gonna get traded to the Raiders, and then I'm gonna get, then I'm gonna just, um, then I'm going to uh, orchestrate my way off the Raiders and on the Patriots. I think this happened when he got to the Raiders. Um, I think that uh, it just got to a point to where, and you could look at reports that he was uh, was tracking, was uh, consulting with social media. Um, outlets on experts on how to, you know, basically how to embarrass his team to a point to where they would, where he would trigger them to to trade him, and it, and it worked uh, with, with some of the some of the stuff that he was posting on Instagram and on uh, through, on Instagram and on various uh, platforms, uh, various social media platforms. So he got what he wanted, but the bottom line is, and this is this is what this is not this is what people are not reporting enough. He signed a thirty million dollar deal. Got he signed. He got thirty million dollars in guaranteed money. Was supposed to get thirty million dollars in guaranteed money with the Raiders. Okay. He gets only. He signs a fifteen one year fifteen million dollar deal with the with New England nine million in guaranteed money. They uh. He only got one million of that from the Raiders. So instead of getting thirty million dollars in guaranteed money, he only ends up getting ten million dollars. One million from the Raiders, nine million from the Patriots. So I call that that's called hustling backwards. So in essence, he lost twenty million dollars of guaranteed money. So let's not let's not forget about that. Okay, before we start calling him this mastermind and you know he he you know crazy like a fox. No 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 no. Lost twenty million dollars in guaranteed money, and he's on a team that will not put up with. Bill Belichick will cut Antonio Brown so fast. Like he, he will not put up with any of this. Like in the first sign of trouble, he will be gone off that team. That team has won championships. They don't need great receivers to win championships. They've proven that time and time again. They won a championship without Gronkowski. That team is the essence of proving that they don't need big main players to win championships. I don't blame New England for t- for taking them on. They have a. They feel like they have a culture. They feel like it's a high reward. High reward, low uh, minimum risk uh, ordeal with with uh, picking up Brown. They feel like if it works out, then we have one of the best receiving cores in in the league, and our offense is going to be humming. If it doesn't, we'll just cut them. And you know, as you saw last night, we still have a we still you know if everybody stays healthy, relatively healthy, 
we still can put up 30 points on any on any given in any given game. We still have we still have Tom Brady. And our defense has improved. And we have we you know they can they, they still still have Bill Belichick. So they're the best still the best coach team in terms of the best at drawing up schemes, the best prepared team, uh the most disciplined team. They have everything going for them. Uh you know they have everything going for them going into uh, 2019 and 2019 uh, so far. They do not need Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown to win another championship. Antonio Brown is a luxury, the absolute luxury for that for that football team. And again, you know Antonio Brown um, is the definite. Is you know he. A lot of stuff, a lot of a lot of, a lot of stuff is just attention seeking. Antonio Brown is a definition, a definition of somebody who craves attention nonstop. Everything, everything he said, everything that happened went to social media, social media immediately, immediately, everything from the the accident with his feet, from the hot air balloon that he came in on. From you know getting cut, from the phone call, the, the tape phone call with John Gruden, everything. Remember, this was a guy who once you know did a Facebook live during a playoff game in Pittsburgh. Not regular, a playoff game. Okay. So this is nothing new. This is who Antonio Brown is. Antonio Brown is at a point. It is very dangerous if you ever reach this point, whether you play sports or not, to where you feel like that you're so talented that you can't like you're invincible. It feels like you feel Antonio Brown feels like he's invincible, like nothing can touch him, and that's how you end up out the NFL. It's how you end up on your ass. Now again, a lot of this. Uh, a lot of this, some of this, I should say, has been the culture that the NFL has cultivated in terms of how they treat guys who have great talent but who have low character or who are who constantly get in trouble off the field. Like I said, NFL talent comes first in the NFL. That you literally have to have to like murder somebody to not to not have a job in the NFL if you're a talented player. Tyreek Hill just got an extension, okay, three-year extension. So, you know, he's going to have to be. He's going to get to. He's, you know, it's going to get to a point where no one will touch him. And again, I don't know. Even if the Patriots cut him, there'll be another team that picks him up. There'll be another team that picks him up, even if the Patriots cut him. Let's say the Patriots cut him in October or something. I don't see him making it through an entire year with the Patriots. I just don't see it. I don't care how much he likes Brady. I don't care how much I don't care about the reports of he wants to, you know, that he feels like the offense is uh, you know, fits his skill set in terms of how they utilize small receivers. I just think he cannot stay out of his own way. Yeah, I think is that he's a guy who really generally thinks that he's bigger than the franchise at this point in his career. 
So um, right now, Antonio Brown will play in week two. Um, then you know, Patriots didn't need him last night. We'll get, we'll get to that game a little later on, but um, I don't I don't blame the Patriots. I don't blame the Patriots at all. If you, at all, if you have a championship culture. Uh, you see somebody like Golden State pick up DeMarcus Cousins. Now, it didn't work out because Cousins couldn't stay healthy for the most part. But Cousins wasn't was minimum trouble. Didn't do anything. Didn't have any – didn't do anything off the field, off the court. Or basically, you know, I thought when you know when he was healthy, Cousins actually helped the team. So if you have, if you have a strong culture, a championship culture that has a number of personalities from the general owner, general manager – star players down that can, you know, just that can withstand, withstand that kind of ego. Uh, we saw it even going back to the 90s with Dennis Rodman getting picked up by the Bulls. You know, Jordan, Pippen, Bill Jackson, Reinsdorf, uh, you know, guys of that, you know, the, that culture. Wrote, you know what, five, they had won three championships up until that point. Uh, Rodman, of course, helped them three-peat. But, uh, you know, if you had that type of culture, if you had that type of culture, then you know a a guy is a guy's talent. You know is, is worth the risk. But uh, I I don't think it will make a difference. I, I can see him last. I I don't think he makes it past October. I say October. I, I would give him middle. I'll give him middle of October. I think September will be a honeymoon period. Um, but after uh, I, I feel like the, I feel like he goes through two games where he catches only like three or four balls. 50 yards, has those type of games, it scores no touchdowns, and he's looking up other receivers are putting up big, gaudy numbers, and he's saying, you know, I should be, you know, leading the league in receiving. I should be leading the league in touchdowns. Because he's all, he's all about his numbers. He is the definition of a numbers guy. He's about his numbers. Team wins, good, but he he's going to, he wants his, he wants to get his numbers before anything. The one thing I heard that just made zero sense to me was the, the, the Randy Moss comparison. Randy Moss, even on his worst day, did not act like Antonio Brown. On his worst day, it's like he's not even a comparison. And even Teddy Bruschi brushed that off on uh, on Sunday on the uh, Sunday Countdown show. He's like, please don't make that comparison. Randy Moss won. Randy Moss wanted to win. Randy Moss when Randy Moss was on the field. Randy Moss wanted to win football games. Period. Now, he had some immature moments. We noticed squirting the referee in a game, in a playoff game against uh, the Rams. You know, the whole, you know, straight cash, you know, straight cash home. You know, yeah, listen, he, he could be a jerk, but nowhere, not even in the same stratosphere, not even close to what Antonio Brown had, is and has become. Odell Beckham and any of those guys. Not even close. I don't think he's even as bad as uh, uh, Terrell uh, Owens was. Randy Moss wasn't destroying teams. So I, I I think that comparison is just a ridiculous comparison. Now you want to say talent from the standpoint of of, of them taking a, a risk in terms of this is the best guy that they've taken a risk on since as a, at the receiver position since Randy Moss. That's one thing, but don't make the comparison of Randy Moss as far as the baggage that he had versus the baggage that Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown has right now. It's not even it's not even a comparison. Randy Moss actually suited up for the Raiders. Let's not forget that he did play now. You know, he played at about half speed, but he actually he did he, he did suit up for the Raiders and played. How many years did he play for the Raiders? Um, 
say 05, 06. Played two years with the Raiders. No, at half. Now again, he played at half speed, but again, the Raiders at that point, the Raiders were a joke. They were an absolute joke at that point. That was past that Super Bowl year. They, you know, they had a good team from ninety, from oh one, from I want to say two thousand to oh two. After that, that team fell off the map, and they weren't even a factor in, in those Randy Moss years. That team was a, it was a laughing stock with a terrible culture. So. Uh, I don't make that comparison in, in regards to this, um, in regards to uh, Moss and, and Brown. We'll go around the league uh, week one, the first full week of both the NFL and college together. Um, Chargers, well, we, get, we might as well begin with New England and Pittsburgh. Again, nothing new here. Pittsburgh continues to get dominated by New England every time they see them, especially in New England's building. This game was basically over in the first quarter. Um, listen, I'm not going to react to this. I don't think, I still think Pittsburgh will have a good year. <clears throat> I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I don't think they can get to the Super Bowl. But I think they'll be, I still I still like Pittsburgh in that division. I'm not overreacting to what Baltimore did against Miami. And you saw what happened with Cleveland. We'll get to that. But, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, New England is just, has become like uh, globe trotters in, in Washington Generals. Like they just can't beat them. They don't match. They just don't match up well with them. Tomlin, you know, seems like he gets dumber when he faces Belichick. Uh, I'm not even going to get on the fact that down 20 nothing kicking the field goal. The game was over at that standpoint. You want to go make a big deal about that? Be my guest. The game was over and done at 20 nothing. There's no way they were coming back. I think now I, I can understand there being an overreaction when people are going to talk about late, you know, no Le'Veon Bell, no Antonio Brown. I, calm down. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh is a much better team than what you saw last night. That that was New England stage fright. They are just mentally, you know, New England is New England's in their heads, no matter where they play at. Uh, especially in especially in prime time games, they just can't beat them. Now they beat them last year at Pittsburgh, but. When the money's on the table, a playoff game or at New England, they cannot beat that team whatsoever. I was not impressed with Tom Brady last night. Uh, that's the underreported story. Underreported story. Brady did not play well. Now the game, it didn't matter because the game got so far away that at that point, New England was just dictating play, and you know he made some throws that he had to make. But for the money, he bounced. A, he bounced a couple throws as well. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why. You know, New England might be getting Antonio Brown. They want to create maybe less, you know, have a guy who can make some plays on some balls that might not be thrown accurately. Or they might want, you know, want their receiving core to be as strong as possible, considering to compensate for for Brady, Brady's slippage or, you know, projecting Brady might be slipping. At a certain point, listen, he's 42 years old. At a certain point, the wheels are going to fall off with Brady. We just don't know when, but at some point, some at a certain point, the wheels are going to fall off. I didn't think he played particularly well last night, uh, to be honest with you, but it didn't make a difference. Pittsburgh still got rolled by New England. Chargers over New Indianapolis, thirty to twenty-four. This was a very good game. You, I was extremely impressed with with Indianapolis losing their quarterback, you know, to retirement, you know, right before the season start. They, you know, they came, they came, no one really took it to the Chargers, ran the ball down the Chargers' throat, throats. Um, both of these teams are banged up. 
we know the Chargers had no Melvin Gordon, no Derwin James, um, no Derwin James. But again, they still have Philip Rivers. Still have some nice weapons on the out on the outside with Keenan Allen. Um, again, impressive victory. You know, you know, we know that home field event. That that home, you know, that twenty thousand seat band box is one of the worst home fields in all of football for the Chargers. Last year, they played much better on the road. Uh, this was a very good game, giving Indianapolis a lot of credit for fighting. Uh, they come up short, thirty to twenty-four. I think Indianapolis is going to be. I don't think Indianapolis is going to make the playoffs, but I think they're not going to be awful this year. I, I could see them being. They could be seven and nine, possibly eight and eight. You know, Brissett is not terrible. They have a great running game. They have a great offensive line. They have a, a very good defense, especially defensive line. So I, I don't think Vinatieri missed a couple of kicks. I'm not going to overreact to that. He is 46 years old. So speaking of, you know, at, the, at a certain point, the wheels fall off. I mean, the guy, the guy this guy is pushing 50. Um, missed a couple of kicks. I don't expect that to be a recurring theme over the course of, of the season from from uh, from him. He's without question. Arguably the greatest kicker of all time, certainly a first a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, so give it, you know, give Indianapolis credit for fighting, but the Chargers come up with the win. Uh, since Carol, the Rams over Carolina, thirty to twenty-seven, the Rams do what they do best when they are when they are at their best. That is run the football. They had one hundred sixty-six yards of rushing. Didn't need a spectacular. Uh, didn't need a, a great day from Jared Goff. Got 97 yards out of Ger- Ty Gurley. Malcolm Brown had a nice day. Rams made a couple of plays on defense. This game was a lot, probably closer in score than it actually was. You never got a sense that Carolina was going to uh, win this game. Win this game. I felt like the Rams were in control of this game, basically from start to finish. Cincinnati, uh, C- Seattle over Cincinnati, 21-20. Very good game. Andy Dalton was was had probably a, a career type game. 35 completions, 418 yards, two touchdowns. Remember, no A.J. Green. Seattle did enough just to get by. I really thought Cincinnati outplayed Seattle, to be honest with you, from the, from the parts that I saw this game. Uh, Seattle was able to make enough plays, but uh, Cincinnati easily could this game. See, but Seattle gets by in their home opener 21-20. Uh, Seattle, Cleveland gets embarrassed by Tennessee, 43-13. to Three interceptions for Baker Mayfield, 18 penalties for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Odell Beckham did it, you know, had 71 yards receiving, was but was not a major factor whatsoever. Cleveland, you know, the Browns are the Browns are the Browns. Uh, you cannot sit up there and lose at home by 30 to the Tennessee Titans. Not in your home opener. Not if you, not if you're trying to make the playoffs. Not if you expect anyone to take you seriously. Uh, that was a pathetic. That that was the worst performance of the day. Even worse than Miami because because Miami's not even good. Like Miami's gonna be gonna be the worst team in football. We already knew that coming in. They're tanking. So I don't even count their performance. But the Cleveland performance was the worst performance uh, of, of the day by far to me. Uh they were embarrassed. They didn't look like they were ready to play. Um they, you know, again, to come out to come out in your home opener and lay an egg like that is is not it's, it's zero excuses whatsoever. You cannot come out and play that type of game. In your home opener, again, Cleveland. I, I expect Cleveland to be a team that they will be up and down. There'll be night. There'll be days where they look like a playoff team. There'll be days where they look like one of the worst teams in football. They have seven and nine written all over them. They are. They have seven and nine, eight and eight written all over them. They have this team. This Cleveland team is not a playoff team. 
Because, man, I felt that way before, like, before yesterday afternoon. And nothing from yesterday afternoon will con- certainly is not going to turn, is not going to convince me otherwise that that team is, um, that team is going to be compete for the division, let alone make the playoffs. Philadelphia takes, Philadelphia comes, takes out Washington 32 to 27. Uh, at one point, Philadelphia was down 17 nothing in the first half. Between the second and fourth quarter, they outscored the skin 32-3. Wentz has a big day. Um, Case Keenum had a nice day. I know he had some gaudy stats. Uh, 380 yards passing. Missed a, t- missed a big touchdown in the third quarter. That should have been when he had a chance to really kind of like to uh, put a halt to the Philadelphia momentum. The key to this game was the Philadelphia's, Philadelphia's line of play. Philadelphia's defensive line, defensive and offensive line took over this game uh, in the third quarter. They ran the ball in the second half. Uh, they didn't. Philadelphia, the, the the Washington defense couldn't touch Wentz in the second half, and the Washington running game was non-existent. Philadelphia outrushes Washington one twenty-three to twenty-eight. Uh, twelve penalties, twelve penalties, no turnovers to Washington, but twelve penalties. You, uh, of course, without there wouldn't be it wouldn't be Washington without. Without some nonsense, uh, Adrian Peterson, for the first time in his career, the future Hall of Fame running back, was a healthy scratch. And, you know, to me, it makes zero sense to film to be a healthy scratch when Darius Geis is your starter. Like, Adrian, like Darius Geis is not Melvin Gordon. He's not Ezekiel Elliott. He's not Todd Gurley. You can't tell me that you, that you could not have used Adrian Peterson in that game yesterday. And if you don't believe that Adrian Peterson deserves reps with Darius Geis, Geis as your starter, then, then cut him. Cut him. Why is he on the team? I don't get it. Like, why is he on the team? If he's a, a healthy scratch? I mean, that, you would think that's like on some disciplinarian type stuff. It's a, the, the Washington Redskins are not a good enough team to have Adrian Peterson as a healthy scratch. They're not. And again, it makes no sense having a guy of Adrian Peterson's ilk um, on a team if he's not going to play. Now, again, if you cut Adrian Peterson during the preseason, offseason, and brought in a younger running back or somebody off the scrap meet, okay. It happens in the NFL. Adrian veterans get cut all the time, especially at the running back position. I would have no problem with it. But if he's not going to play, then why is he on the team? I mean, that's my question. I don't want to hear this nonsense about special teams, uh, wanting to strengthen special teams. Man, give me a break. Like, if he's on the team, he should play. There's no, there's no other reason for him not. There's no reason for him not to play if he's on the team. Dallas rolls the Giants 35-17. Big day out. Dak Prescott 25-32, 405, four touchdowns. Daniel Jones made an appearance. It's only a matter of time. You know, Eli, I thought Eli played well yesterday, to be honest with you. So he was not the problem whatsoever. That giant defense just got shredded by the Cowboy offense. Uh, it's only a matter of time before Daniel Jones is uh, starting. I would say even by, by, by at October, first week of October, at, like, at the latest, Maybe even late September. Would not be surprising if week three Daniel Jones is starting. I really wouldn't. Uh, Kansas City rolls over Jacksonville, forty to twenty-six. Uh, very strange game. You had an injection. You had a couple injuries. Um, Nick Foles, you know, is going to be out with a clavicle injury till like at least week eleven. 
Uh, Gardner Mishu Mishu came in and just threw all over Kansas City. I mean, he had a he was near perfect. Uh, I think he he completed, you know, just a you know about almost seventy five to eighty percent of his passes. Play, came in and played great. So Kansas City still has still has issues on the defense, but that offense is just unstoppable. Mahomes looked like he was about to break the record for uh, most yards passing in the game. He had 300 yards at halftime. I thought, you know, Kansas City basically took the uh, Kansas City took their foot off the throttle. Kansas City could have scored 60 points easily in that game. They really took their they was they really were moving up and down the field at will against Jacksonville. Uh, they they gave they you know took their game they took their foot off the throttle in that game. Uh, Mahomes could have easily broken. 500 yards in that game, but Kansas City overkill Jacksonville 40 to 26. And again, you have some other scores: San Francisco 31, Tampa Bay 17. Uh, Jameis Winston doesn't seem to be long for the to be Tampa Bay's quarterback. And Baltimore rolls over Miami 59 to 10. Again, I am not overreacting to that game. Miami doesn't even look like an NFL team. I gotta see Baltimore and Lamar Jackson against an, a a real NFL defense. Because Miami doesn't have one whatsoever, so you know a good you know uh, and a good solid and going back to Thursday night game, the Green Bay Chicago game, that was an embarrassing offensive performance by Chicago. There's no way uh, that you can have Mitchell Trubisky throw the ball 45 times in a one possession game. There's no way he should throw the ball 45 times. Give give Green Bay's uh, defense a lot of credit. Their offense basically did next to nothing. Outside the Jimmy Graham touchdown catch from Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, of course, never does not turn over the ball, so give him credit from that standpoint. I said, listen, that Chicago defense is a legit top three defense. So, you know, you felt like that was not going to be a lot of points in that game, but that game was that was a tough watch on Thursday night. It really was. I mean, those two teams, ooh, that was, that was a tough watch. Uh, watching those two teams slug it out at 10-3. to 3. Um, but the Chicago offense was embarrassing. Green Bay's defense is improved. Let's not make the Green Bay defense out to be the 2000 Ravens. They're not that good. Um, so, but again, give Green Bay credit. They rolled a, you know, it's, it's basically the double whammy. But, you know, it's basically, you know, they, you win not only on the road, but you win a divisional game on the road. So that, that is a perfect way to start your season if you're the Packers. Winning a division game, divisional game on the road against a team that you're going to be competing for for a uh, for the division title, along also with the with the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Kyler Murray, they uh, give Kyler Murray a lot of credit. Down 24-6, he had a huge fourth quarter against Detroit, and Detroit does what Detroit does. That's how you find ways to either lose a game or have a or tie a game, which they had no business. Not winning. Detroit, Detroit Lions had no business not winning. Arizona could barely, could barely cross midfield before the fourth quarter. But again, you give Kyler Murray all the credit in the world. Uh, that is what big time quarterbacks do. You can be struggling for the first three quarters and go out there and have a big fourth quarter, in which which he did have a couple of nice passes to Larry too. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald and um, made made some plays in that fourth quarter, and he ended up tying in overtime. So. You like what you saw out saw out of him for in terms of his first game uh, in the fourth quarter. You had a bunch of perform big time performances from quarterbacks uh, yesterday. Twelve quarterbacks went over three hundred yards. You had thirteen quarterbacks with over a hundred uh, hundred rating passer rating. So you had some guys out there putting up some gaudy numbers. Uh, week one is always tricky. I don't overreact to. I don't overreact at all to week one. 
because teams are based, are barely out of preseason. Some of these, a lot of most of these teams, most of these teams, this is preseason. The weather with the heat. Um, then you you go out there. Perfect example: Washington is rolling seventeen nothing. Philadelphia wakes up and and realizes who they are, which is a legit Super Bowl contender coming out the AFC, NFC. But overall, the Korean rise rise to the top with some of the power of some of these big time teams, where New England. Rams, Philadelphia, um, out Kansas City, um, Chargers still pretty good. So the Korean rod rod rose to the top yesterday for the most part. Uh, you, you didn't have that shocking upset uh, to speak of. I get. I mean, if you want to call Tennessee Cleveland upset, I wouldn't call it upset. I mean, it was more of like an embarrassment from a standpoint. There's no way that the Cleveland Browns should. Uh, lose by 30 points to the uh, ten, uh, to the Tennessee Titans at, at their own place. So, that you know, if you wanted to call that upset, you, you could. But for the most part, it was a, a pretty good weekend, pretty good Sunday of, of football. Uh, right now, Saints are down 20 to 10, middle of the third quarter, down to, a, again, to a feisty Houston team. So 20 to 10 right now, Saints are down to Houston in the Superdome. As far as the college football, football went, um, a couple of statement games, and you had a team that looked like they're going to be a problem in the SEC. Um, the LSU, the game of the, the game of the week, the weekend was that without question LSU and Texas. Both teams are are legit championship caliber teams, uh, playoff teams. LSU could win the whole thing. I don't think Texas defense is good enough. They're a classic Big Twelve team. They can score a zillion points, but they can't stop anybody. But that was a fun game to watch. LSU for the first time since maybe Jamarcus Russell has a has a quarterback who is fearless, has a quarterback who can challenge Alabama. LSU is going to be a problem in the SEC West. That is a legit championship team. Now, their defense might not be on the same level as it has been in the past couple of years, but you know what? It doesn't need to be. Because when you could put up 45 at Texas with that quarterback, you don't need to have a shutdown, shut a lockdown defense. Uh, that was a, Joe Burrow, uh, Burrow put on the show, 471 yards passing, four touchdowns. Ellinger put on the show as well, played great as well. Texas has a lot of weapons on the on the outside with their receivers, but that was all about LSU and about the quarterback. And I'm telling you right now, just fun game to watch. You had 39 fourth quarter points, two teams going back and forth. I, th- I felt like the defenses got tired especially in the fourth quarter, but a, a great game to watch. But this, to me, was about LSU finally having an offense that resembles something of the 21st century. And give give the coaches that have credit for going out and to, to getting guys from, from New Orleans. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit from that standpoint, not just depending on special teams and defense. And, again, LSU will be the number one contender for Alabama coming out to SEC West, even better, even better than Auburn. Uh, Maryland had you know, Maryland played well. Maryland makes it uh, makes it a bit of a statement against Syracuse, sixty-three to twenty. Maryland scored one hundred and forty-two points in their first two games, so we'll see how long they can keep that up. They're now ranked twenty-first. Michigan was embarrassing against Army, almost losing out to Army at home. Uh, Michigan, you know, Michigan will be a nine, ten win team, but they're not even they they won't be a, content, a playoff contender from my standpoint. I just don't like. The way they just have no offense, they still have they still having you know they still have issues with the quarterback. 
still turnover the ball way too much. Offensive line is suspect in terms of pass protection. Clemson absolutely toyed with Texas A&M. And I think A&M is a good team. I think they're a very good team. But Clemson right now is playing at another level. Even when, even you know, when you can win games going away, when you don't play your A game, that just lets you know where you're, where you're at right now. Uh, so Clemson, 24-10. It didn't feel like the, the game didn't even feel like it was that close, to be honest with you. It really didn't. You never thought Clemson was in any danger, and they were never in danger of losing that game. So a good weekend of college football. Again, big picture is about LSU being another challenger for the Alabama Crimson Tide, out of the SEC. Now, I can say they're probably two legit challenges. Auburn, well, three, I can say three. Auburn's a challenger for that, with that defense. So I'll say, in order, I would say Georgia, LSU, and Auburn are the, will be the challenge, the main challenges to the Alabama Crimson Tide, um, Crimson Tide coming out of the SEC. As far as the tennis goes, um, you had two legends coming up on opposite ends of the spectrum. First, I'll deal with, uh, uh, we'll go with the winner in terms of Nadal. That was the, that was probably one of the best matches, one of the gutsiest matches I've ever seen Rafael Nadal play. The best match I saw where Nadal play was when he destroyed Federer in 2008 uh, French Open, right before the right before the Wimbledon Classic. That's considered the greatest of all time. But he, this is this was apex Federer. It's the best match I've ever seen him play. This match was his gutsiest because Nadal is has been is probably the greatest front runner in the history of tennis. When Nadal gets on top of you, one set, two sets, it's a wrap. Like you, you don't get, guys don't forget about coming back and winning. Guys don't even get sets off Nadal when he jumps ahead. He is the he is the the, the again the best front runner that I've ever seen in the history of tennis. So for him to be up two sets of love. And then get and then that and then you know have a guy come back to win the next two sets and be even up one nothing in the fifth set and you know fifth set and then still for him still win the match just shows you that this guy you know his heart even at his age even with all the wear and tear that this guy has one of the biggest hearts that the game's ever seen he is one of the gutsiest fighters that the game has ever seen along with his talent and even you know again. Aesthetically, I don't like watching Nadal play. It can be a grind. Uh, I respect you know the hell out of him, but aesthetically, I don't like watching him play. But you, if you're a tennis fan, you had to enjoy enjoy that match last night, well over four hours. Give Medvedev a lot of credit, and I think Medvedev is that we've been looking for that next young gun tennis player to who's going to win some majors. I think Medvedev once the big three kind of subsides and once the momentum of that and those guys are closer to the end than, than what we what we realize. I think with the injuries, with the award, with the attrition, with the age, the big three might have one year left. One year left between Federer, Note Djokovic, and Nadal in one year left in the tank before they kinda of go out the pasture and before and before some other guys emerge. So Medvedev to me is the next best candidate to win some multiple majors. Uh, he will win. I predict that he will win at least one major next year. And right now, you have uh, they'd all right on the heels of Roger Federer with it, with win number nineteen, Grand Slam number nineteen. Again, I think the big three has one year left in them. As far as um, I think, whoever out of those three is again now. There's no way Djokovic is winning four majors. 
So I would say out of Federer and Nadal, whoever is leading after the 2020 season will finish with the all-time uh, will finish with the all-time leader in, in Grand Slam majors. I don't think Nadal. I don't think Djokovic is catching Federer or Nadal. To be honest with you, I'm not sure Djokovic has three majors left in him. I mean, he said again. He those guys, all three of them, have a ton of have a a ton of mileage on it on it on it on the tread. They those guys are grinded out guys. Those guys who, you know, Federer probably you know at this point in his career you know, probably manages his schedule the best. Those other two guys are, are grinded out players. So when they when when Feder when Nate all and Djokovic fall off, the wheels are gonna completely come off. Because those guys they they, they go a hundred miles an hour every match. They don't have any, you know, there's no such thing as cruise control with those two guys. So I think whoever out of Federer and Nate all, whoever comes up with Whoever can finish with the most majors next year, as in the lead next year, I think that will, you know, they will be all-time leader, you know, moving forward. But I think forever, I think nobody's, I don't think anybody's breaking that record. I don't see anybody exceeding 20 plus majors. As far as Serena goes, listen, I'm not, I don't think you can knock Serena. Serena is 37 years old, and unlike the men's, unlike the men's tennis, there are a number of women's women's players who are Grand Slam caliber players. This, you know, Bianca Andrusi is going to be the number one player in the world before long. She's going to win multiple majors. She will win anywhere from eight to ten, eight to ten majors easily. There are too many. There are too many talented top. The women's game is too top heavy for Serena to win another major. I don't think Serena's going to win another major, to be honest with you. And you can attribute it to it, number one, age. You can attribute it to it to mainly how many other top players they are that are, they are capable of winning Grand Slams. Osaka, Kerber, Halep. I mean, they are about three or four. They're about at least five that are capable of winning of winning majors. It's not even Serena's fault. This is what, I mean, this is what is supposed to happen in tennis. You know, old time, all time greats. They get older. You have a younger generation comes in and takes over. What you see in men's tennis with the big three in this generation is just something that's unprecedented and something that you will never see again. And part of it is because you just haven't had any young players step up to the plate. Because in the history of tennis, has been it's been simple. The the young has pushed out the old. It's always been like that up until this point. Up until his last ten, up until his last ten years, with what Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal have done, like really, Federer, Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal have pushed their primes five years, legitimately five to seven years past what they should be. To be honest with you, so those guys, like those, these younger players, should have been taken taken over the sport in, in men's tennis, and we should be talking about Zareva. And Medvedev and some of uh, some of these other guys that should have been took over took over the sport. Dimitrov, to name you know, um, there was a guy I forgot his name, the American player. Uh, last name is Young, but he ended up being a flop. That's that is absolutely happening with the women's game. There are a number of young, talented women who are just at this point have no fear of Serena, 
and you see her Andrewsy, you see this lady, you know, 19 years old, she hits the ball just as hard as Serena does. She really does. She, I've never seen anybody handle Serena serve the way she, the way this young lady handles Serena serve or return Serena serve. Never, and and ever. So, you know, Serena fought, came back from five two in that last set, um, played as hard as she can play, but just at this point, you know, this mother nature father time undefeated, and I just don't see, I don't see. Serena winning another major. I just don't. And then she's lost these finals in straight sets. These last four or five finals, the Grand Slam finals, she's lost in straight sets. It's going to wrap. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. As always, we are on iTunes. Apple.com. Look up Real Deal Podcast. This podcast. I'll put this podcast also on Block Talk Radio later on tonight. As always, this is season 12 of the Real Deal Podcast. Of the Real Deal Podcast with Surreal Gerald Quinn. Telling it like it is with no apologies. Thanks for listening. I'm out.